0: and welcome to the Lead From Within podcast. My name is Jane Mystery. This podcast is a vehicle for you to live true to yourself and live true to your greatness. You can really bring out the inner leader and your inner greatness within you out into the world. I'm really excited to be sharing with you an interview which I did with Jeff Watts in this episode. Jeff is a founder and CEO of Agile Mastery Institute and they're a company based um, or with, with, with a mission to create more agile professionals helping guide people over time with a mixture of different trainings coachings, mentoring cohort based reflection and support jeff is an author of a number of different books including scrum mastery the coach's casebook product mastery and team mastery he's worked with a number of different companies across the world and leaders across the world um, including bt nokia jp morgan Citigroup, group kpmg and and many more in today's episode, we talk about how you can become and how we can become better leaders in the workplace. And even though the conversation is heavily based on product managers because a lot of Jeff's work is based um, in you know in teams who are product managers and their teams, the principles and wisdom that he shares can be applied to all of us, regardless of what where we work whether we whether we lead a team of two people or 10,000 people, whether we lead people in our own business, whether we're a freelancer leading ourselves and our clients. So enjoy the conversation. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. And I'll speak to you soon. Thank you so much for being here on the Lead From Within podcast. It's, yeah, it's a a true privilege to, to be able to speak to you. Actually, thanks. It's great to be here. So um, do you want to give a quick intro into, in terms of your work and, and your background uh, b- before we get started for, for people who, who may not know um, exactly what, what you do?
1: Yeah, sure. I, I mean, it's a bit of a difficult one in a way. Um, I, my kids have grown up with me not really being able to say what their dad does for a living because I just sit, they just see me disappearing with all these weird games and tools and things. But yeah, basically, I've been spending the last 20 years trying to help people get better at what they do—that's that's that's what I've uh, managed to distil it down to. Those people range from scrum masters to product managers to agile teams to leaders um, of all shapes and sizes. And I—I I sort of had two two parts to my world really. One is the agile part of my life, uh, and the other is more just generic executive leadership coaching. And over the last 20 years though two worlds have sort of overlapped more a bit like a, a venn diagram because more and more
0: leadership of organizations is is based on agile principles yeah you want to share more about what you mean by agile and agile principles um yeah
1: yeah it's always a good challenge to be able to to explain that briefly It's usually when i'm when i'm explaining agile i've usually got quite a bit of time to just tell some stories but yeah it's for me it's, it's the ability to respond appropriately in unknown and unpredictable environments. So there are times when you know, you've done something before and you can rely on pretty much things being stable to be able to do the same thing again. But in many situations and more and more situations, those variables are changing. So what we did before isn't necessarily a good predictor of what we should be doing now. Um, and. As human beings, we kind of either we're hardwired or we've just been institutionalized to try and rely on our expertise or past experience or just try and work the problem out rather than try something, get some feedback, and then make another quick decision based on the results of that feedback. So that's as as short a description as I can give, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I really hear you. I mean, I think, especially in today's world, I mean, things have always been constantly changing, but in particularly in today's world, in the workplace, there's so many different factors involved and they're always constantly changing. Um, And so what would you say, I mean, when you work with these organizations and you work with these leaders, um, what really constitutes of great agile leadership? And obviously, you mentioned adaptation to to certain environments. What else do you... with, with the leaders that are most agile and most effective in being agile, what, what, what do you see in them that may be the ones who are not so great at it? So there's, there's the, almost the technical challenges, and then there's
1: the psychological challenges. So the technical challenges are, it's, it's, it's quite difficult to, to know what the right answer is when you're in an environment that is constantly changing and really highly complex. Mm. Uh, And historically, people have risen to positions of leadership based on their levels of expertise. So the better, the more experienced I become at something, the more I've done it, then the better I am, the more senior I become, because I just know more than other people. Mm. But now, I don't know more. In fact, it's so complex, it's highly unlikely that I will know as much as the people who are actually doing the work. The, the, The more distant you get from the work, the more out of touch your skills become. So you can't rely on your expertise anymore. So that, and that's the technical side of things. You know, we are trained to find an answer, but actually I probably don't have the answer and I might not even have the skill set to find the answer anymore. And then there's the psychological aspect, which is so coming to terms with that, coming to terms with the fact that you, you're never going to get a perfect answer. You've got to just go for good enough you, you, you're constantly worrying about what, whether people are judging you for whether it's right or not. You've got to get past the the, the stigma of, and I'm using air quotes here, failing, you know, mm-hmm. getting the wrong answer quickly will help you find out what the right answer is, trusting other people, enabling other people, facilitating lots of people who have expertise in their own area to come up with a collective response. So yeah. I think for me, there's an element of humility. Yeah you know just just ex- accepting that we're not we're not as experts as we would like to be and that's okay there's an element of um i would say self awareness mm. so knowing what triggers me knowing what my biases are knowing that i'm seeing the world through my lens and how i want to see it and how i expect to see it and that might not be the the real the real world and then i would say So so I want to say patience, because things take time. Self-awareness takes time. Actually, trial and error takes time. Research takes time. But we can't be too patient because the pace of change and the pace of demand is so high that we actually need to be impatient Mm. to get something, but not impatient to get perfect, if that makes sense. Yeah.
0: So I'm hearing, you know, number one it's having that humility and admitting that actually I may not know all the answers given, even though I've got, you know, 20, 30 years worth of experience in this current day and age, there's still mm. way more that I, I do not know. Um, secondly, having the self-awareness and the courage to even acknowledge that and the awareness to have that. And then thirdly, the, um, yeah, this, the, the, the last thing you mentioned was great. You know, it's just about making decisions even if 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 it is kind of one that may fail, but actually not being impatient to 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 be to be making decisions regularly, and even though you might fail forward, you're still going forward to, to yeah. some degree. Um, yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Do you find that in in today's world where you know the the say say for example, if you're coaching C-suite executives, that that first thing that you mentioned is that humility. Is is that a challenge in 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 organizations that you work with um given even maybe egos in the boardroom things like that how 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 has that how's that been for you and, and your and, and your team so I think for, it's an interesting one over time so having been doing this for so
1: long I've seen a shift in the demographics and um if you're permit you can always cut this if you don't like this but um the I, I remember it many years ago I was listening to to a guy speak and he was saying that back in the 12th century or whatever 15th century people knew for a fact that if you were ill the solution was leeches they knew it for a fact yeah and if you were really ill you needed a lot a lot of leeches but over time new thoughts came into the consciousness this idea of antibiotics and medicine and stuff but still people clung on to their views that no no no, leeches is the answer And no matter how much proof there was of another way of working, you needed that, in his words, you needed that generation to die off before the new truth was accepted. Now, what I have seen is not necessarily a dying off, but I have seen a shift in boardrooms. So the average age of a C-suite member now is a good four or five years less than it was 15 years ago. And those Mm -hmm. people have come up with different expectations. They've come up through different um different technological paradigms right they they, they they grew up with the iphone whereas we mm. bought it uh, when we were just uh in, in the office so they've, they've got different expectations and, and different ways of working and they know that they haven't got the expertise it's, it's so for them this is kind of a, a liberating thing that mm-hmm. In Their minds, they've been thinking, Oh, I, I don't know this stuff. Should I know this stuff? Maybe I should I, ooh, uh, I, I should I shouldn't be here. But actually, no, you don't need to know that. So that vulnerability mm. has has been let out, if you like. And now they have a way of channeling that insecurity because what they are a lot better at is asking questions. Yes. Rather than finding the answers. So Yes, there's still an element of it's it's the right thing to know the answer, and it's you know it's a sign of strength to to
0: such, to know the answer, but significantly less than it used to be. Mm. Yeah, brilliant, love that. I'm also seeing that um, there's a shift in, in 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 the in the kind of clientele that I work with and in the space that I work with. There is now a growing awareness that. Similar to what we've just discussed, the answers may not just lie in our own intellectual mind. Like there's a lot of uh, leaders in 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 today's world that are now being open to actually taking time away from the work and receiving ideas and answers from a place beyond the normal intellect hmm. of the finite mind. Um is that is that is that something where where you where where you would um work with i mean is 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 that something that you you work on with 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 individuals with 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 executives actually not just going back to what you know in your experience but there's the idea generation the creative the the creativity part um when where do these ideas come from how can we create more space for ideas to come and and new thought which may which we may not have thought before
1: yeah well i think so there, there are certainly people who who's who find that more natural mm. um so and to a degree i'll, I'll use myself as a, as a sort of case study here in that i find it difficult to sit down and watch a tv show or a film with my wife and not say oh do you know what that's a bit like being a product manager and she was for god's sake Jeff, just watch the <laughs> film you know but i i see things and i see patterns and things and so that there's that and you say well why are we doing it this way you know i've always had that sort of streak in it why, why do, just because we've always done it this way why are we doing it this way And to be fair there's a little part of me that actually wants to be a, a bit bit contrary anyway so there is an element of that but that when you speak to people about when do you find your best ideas come to you there's almost always a consistent answer in well it's when i'm in the shower or i'm on mm. the toilet or i'm at the beach or yeah. you know i'm in the swimming pool. So when they're not at work when the but they are at work but they're just not at work and so again similar to this idea of it's become a lot more acceptable now to not have to know the answer it's a lot more acceptable now to see not being at work still being at work mm. just you allowing a different part of your brain to be at work yeah. so that seems to be more acceptable
0: now yeah yeah brilliant i see that too so you mentioned Scrum, and obviously a lot of your work is in Scrum mastery. Um, what what do you mean by Scrum? What what is that? So Scrum
1: is is a is a is a a method, if you like, of of applying Agile values and principles. It's a framework that's been built around the Agile values and principles, and it's um, it's get, it's over twenty years old now. You know, for me, it's old it's old news now, but it's still I'm still getting organisations say, we want to do some of this rugby stuff. Um, mm. And it's, unfortunately, it's gone through as many products go through. They, they, they go through different sort of trends in, 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 in the workplace and the environments. And some people start changing their opinions of things and it gets more popular and less popular and people start attacking it and defending it and so on. So it's gone through a few different changes, but ultimately at, at its heart, it's just a structured way of applying the agile
0: values and principles to product development. Right. And are you are you able to give an example of how that may look like in a in in, in a team? Like what what does that actually look like in a in Yeah, a, so in a, in I mean Scrum's Scrum's pretty simple. Um yeah.
1: so you know, as a as a product manager, I would be asked to instead of specifying a particular solution per se, I'd be asked to you know come up with my vision or my product goal, my goal for the product. And because I can't do it on my own, you know, I need need to engage people with lots of skills. I need to bring them on the journey with me. So I would try and engage them in that. And i try and break it down so that we can either work out whether this product's going to succeed or fail relatively quickly. So I would try and break that down into something that would, would be called a product backlog. And with this team of people who have all these different skills, we would work out how much of that product backlog we could get done in a couple of weeks. We'd give ourselves a couple of weeks to, pl- to do that. We'd plan it in you know, a couple of hours, do some work for a couple of weeks, just checking in with each other every day. And then at the end of that two weeks, we would have something tangible that as a product owner I could I could use, ideally, mm-hmm. um, so I can get some as real as possible, real-time Absolute feedback. Not yeah. I think we're on track. It looks okay. No, no, no. Let's really test this, and then I can make some decisions as to whether I want to spend some more money on this, whether I want to ramp it up, whether I want to delay it, whether I want to cancel this and put my money in somewhere else. Um, and it's that iterative, incremental approach to product development. Every what they call sprints, every couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, I hear that. I think then on what you're describing can be applied to not just product managers, but you know entrepreneurs who are launching a certain uh kind of mvp or um you know it could be applied to really any project this it is iterative planning and constant feedback and decision making and adapting it
1: um, yeah anything where there's a huge amount of uncertainty mm. complexity or change really if if there's a lot of predictability then this approach you probably say is quite wasteful yes you, know, you just work out the right way to do it follow the best practice and just do it in the most efficient way, yeah. but when things are likely to change quite a lot, or there's stuff that we don't know that we don't know yet, yes, then we want to actually manage our risk a little bit
0: better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it just kind un- of uncovers blind spots that we may not have seen. Yeah, because uh, a lot of stuff that we don't know that we don't know, right? So, um I was having a look at your website, and it, you mentioned um, on the website where, uh, it says Scrum Mastery is the difference between doing Agile and being agile. Hmm. I love that. I love that difference between doing agile and being agile. Are you, able, are you able to explain more about about that and your and your and your take on that?
1: Yeah, it's it's one of those sort of quite difficult things to explain really in words, but words hmm. are the the best thing we have really. But for me, a lot of people can can follow a process. They can, you know, they can have meetings, they can create artifacts, they can give themselves roles, and they can do stuff so they can do Scrum, but then actually being able to apply that to different contexts without having to go back to a rule book or ask an advisor, they just, this is the right way to do things. Mm. Not because I know I've been told, but because I've got those values and principles embedded in how I work. So I know that whenever the question comes up, I can think. Okay, well, we value people over process. So, what's what's the way of dealing with this that puts people first rather than the process first? What's mm-hmm. the way that we you know collaborate with our customers rather than go back to contracts? So that it's it's embodying the values and principles rather than mastering a framework. Yes. That sense. Yeah. Brilliant.
0: I love that. I think and. and that it's like it's, it's, it's as you said it's embodying it. it's, it's 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 just who you are now rather, and it, rather than doing it for the sake of it because it's 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 just set in stone and they just following the structure it's actually because then you can adapt from this being agile you can then do agile things and it that might be different from the framework but it, because you're coming from this place um given the situation it can yeah absolutely i i done a lot
1: of work with so this this role of scrum master that was introduced when scrum came around about 20 years ago it's a, it's a really weird role in right. that you don't have any authority, and yet you're expected to provide leadership. Mm. And you know, I, I wrote fairly early on that actually the, the aim of someone in this role is to make themselves redundant. Mm. And actually, they should be making the need for Scrum redundant, because you've got such a good powerful, cross-functional, self-managing team working directly with a product manager who knows the consequences of going too fast, who knows the value of breaking things down into small chunks and collaborating rather than writing requirements in advance. They're working so well together, getting that feedback and inspecting and adapting. They don't need the structure. Mm -hmm. They don't need the artifacts. They don't need labels. They're Mm -hmm. just doing it. Yeah. Yeah. There's no need for anyone to facilitate any of that anymore. So yeah. it's, it's a weird role in
0: that regard. Yeah, and I guess um that's that's a big cultural shift within organization. I guess that getting there. What and obviously that that's something that you work with in developing that kind of culture within organizations. What are the main challenges do you see that organizations have in actually being agile and, 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 and developing this culture and then this way of being in short-termism?
1: In
0: short-termism.
1: Mm. It's the number one thing and there's lots of reasons why you know uh, I, I i truly believe that there's there's no one out there who is trying to do a bad thing they're trying to fail in their job mm. uh, and make things deliberately difficult for for, for organizations. But you know, most organisations owned by shareholders. A lot of those shareholders want short-term returns. Mm. Um, a lot of managers are or leaders are making commitments and going to be judged on short-term milestones being met. Mm. And so there's a constant pressure for faster, faster, faster. And actually, ironically, if Agile and Scrum done well will lead to faster, faster, faster. But if the focus is on faster, 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 mm. then you get rubbish fast yeah not just poor quality but you get um actually institutionalized and structured poor quality so it's very difficult then to fix it and build on top of it you get people leaving you get poor morale you get it's hard mm. to hire talent and so on so there's all sorts of things that slow you down if you focus on just going fast yeah so Organizations, for example, will say, so if we don't need a scrum master in the long term, then let's just start without a scrum master. Mm. Or let yeah, you know, we haven't got enough budget for, you know, one scrum master per team. So let's have one for six teams. And that they're, they're so short-termist in trying to get there too quickly that they never get there. Mm. That's the number one barrier for organizations. And it comes back to my my comment around patience and impatience. In- mm. You know, it needs to have a healthy Impatience.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm really, I, I really like that because I, 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 talk about a lot slowing down to speed up, and then sometimes we do need to slow down to then see the exponential results thereafter. But when we, when we want to continue to rush, it, it, as you said, it, 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 the quality is rubbish at the end of it. So, um, spot on, spot on, very much aligned with that. So, I've got um, a couple of members of of um, my community who are product managers. Okay. Um, and I've asked them for a couple of questions to, 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 to pose to you. So um, I'm just going to riff on that a bit. So it says, I've got one one individual who's uh, asked me to ask, when you're part of a team, everyone wants to contribute to the de- the decision. As a product manager, how do you handle the team when you've taken a view that not everyone agrees with? Okay, I mean, with us. I mean it's that's a, a question. <laughs> you know, but it's it's a really interesting question. Yeah. I mean
1: there's there's a part of me that says that's that's inevitable. Mm. You know actually as a product as a product manager it's inevitable that you will be making decisions that not everyone agrees with and that's a good thing. Now it might not feel like a nice thing and there's lots of reasons that go into that you know we don't like to have conflict we like to please people you know We'd always second guess because we can't be sure that what decision we're making is perfectly right either. We'll always be second guessing ourselves. But there's um your job as a product manager is not to make friends. Yeah. Your job as a product manager is to make great products. Okay. And my my grandparents used to tell me that, yeah, just, when you go to work, you're not there to make friends, you're there to do a job. Well, there are ways <laughs> of good. doing it, right? And you know, I work with product managers to first of all, be more confident in that space of not knowing everything, but also to do it in a way that doesn't burn bridges and upsetting people. Mm-hmm. That's, it's a, it's yeah. a difficult balance to strike. But first of all, just being really conscious of the fact that almost every day you will make at least one decision that not everyone agrees with. My opinion is if everybody agrees with it, it's really, really easy or it's the wrong decision Mm. all right now you can support something that you don't agree with all right now that's that's the sign of a really healthy product team where we can all have a you know have our own strong opinions that are all based on our view of the world not fact usually Mm -hmm. Um, and we can we can argue them strongly we can let someone make a decision and then we can support that decision because we know that it's gone through a logical decision-making process. Mm -hmm. Now there's a second part. If I heard this correctly, let me just double check that you said everyone wants to contribute to the decision.
0: Mm, That's what you said. Yeah.
1: Now, I'm not sure where this is going to go again. You can cut it if you don't like it, but I would, I would agree in a way, I would say that if everything is equal then people want to contribute to a decision. But it's not all—not often that all things are equal. Now, what I mean by that is there's often fear at play, there's expectation at play, insecurity, politics that can come into play, mm. which might make people less confident to contribute to a decision. But, yeah, in general, people want to be heard. Mm. All right, yeah. Even if it's just a case of, yeah, I agree with that, or I disagree with it, but I haven't got anything better, so I'll support it. They've mm. been heard. Yeah. But as a product owner, I want that, but equally I want to be aware of all the things that might be influencing people's hesitancy to contribute, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. There's a great distinction which um a coach in the US, Steve Chandler, talks about serving versus pleasing. And I use I use that a lot in in, in my work. It's there's a there's a there's a big difference in, in trying to please other people but actually serve the project serve the outcome and so putting that service of, of the project and the and the end um, outcome over that pleasing behavior I think um, is exactly what you, you, you're leading to here as well which is um, really nice to hear um, there's another there's another question here um, I think this is something that we've just previously spoken about when in, in, in the humility discussion that we were having but as a leader you're also surrounded by high quality specialists imposter syndrome can play a big part in a product manager's mindset especially someone newer to the role any advice with anyone starting off you know new to the role who may be suffering from imposter syndrome given the environments that they're in with specialists well i mean this is something that we could talk about for hours yeah
1: but um bear with me on this one so imposter syndrome I would say, I mean, I used to say around about seventy-five percent of people that I've worked with have suffered from imposter syndrome at mm-hmm. some point. Now I would say more. In fact, I can only I only really know of about oh well, single figures of people who said no, 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 I've never had a problem with that. Yeah. And so, the first thing I would say to somebody new setting off is be aware that everyone that you're coming across, there's a high chance that they feel insecure as well, even those specialists. And sometimes the more you know, the more insecure you feel. And I was just coaching someone this morning, a product manager this morning, who I've been coaching them for about six, nine months. And we were talking about their their growth and their progress and so on. And he said, I can't really put a finger on it, but I feel I have definitely grown a lot but also i've realized how much i didn't know back then and how much i still don't know now so yes i've come a long way but actually i've just got more questions than i had before and i think that's completely normal so mm-hmm. it's it's a yeah it's a it's it's incredibly empowering for a lot of people to realize that there isn't a correct answer at the back of the book mm-hmm. Yeah. And something that I like to tell product owners a lot is a bad outcome is not necessarily reflective of a bad decision. Mm. In an an unpredictable and complex world, you can make exactly the right decision that doesn't lead to the right outcome, because there are variables that you don't know and you can't see. So just because you get the wrong outcome doesn't mean that you necessarily made the bad decision. Equally, a bad decision doesn't necessarily mean that you're a bad product owner, Mm. okay? Because we all make mistakes. Yeah. So first of all, go easy on yourself and just think realistically about things. And the more agile you're being, the easier you're making it on yourself to recover from decisions. So fewer and fewer of those decisions
0: are make or break. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you for sharing that. Beautifully explained. One more question. Okay. Um, One of the chapters in product mastery is about working with the team. Sometimes you may enter a team that has been quite scarred, but you still may need to deliver building trust and faith and being genuine takes time. Any advice for creating short-term inclusion, or do we just accept that things will start transactionally as people may want to protect their position? There's a lot in that. So, I
1: mean, the first thing that jumps out for me, and this,
0: this is just who I am, I, I
1: tend to latch onto words. So there's one that says being genuine takes time. So I, I, mm. I take that out and I would say, well, no, you can be genuine right from the start. Mm. Even if being genuine is unsettling, mm. right? But building trust and faith, yeah, takes time. Mm. But being genuine is a great way to start building that. And my experience, even teams that have been scarred, Still want to deliver. Yeah. So, in my experience, that actually the need to deliver isn't the problem. They, they, they want they still want to deliver. They're probably just worried about putting themselves out there again, or they're, they're not confident that they will be allowed to deliver,
0: mm.
1: or they're not sure of what the point of the delivery is. So, you know, if any product leader that comes in to me and comes into a team and says, uh, "You know I, know, I know you've had it hard." I know you're better than you've been allowed to be. I really want to help you unleash your potential and your passion. Mm. And I've got a really worthwhile project to invest your time and energy into. Mm. Come with me. And then more importantly, backs those words up with action. Yeah. They will have a team as loyal as a Labrador. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because that all all a team want to do is put their skills into practice.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: On something worthwhile.
0: Mm. Yeah. I love that. And I think you, by by doing that, you're also creating a safe environment. You're, you're creating a trusting environment and you are obviously work leading with integrity because you're following those words that you're saying, but you're creating a safe space where people are actually kind of okay and failing. And it's, it's not about them. It's about the mission um, mm-hmm. and, and, and the outcome. Um, yeah. Brilliant. Leading on to that, one thing which um, I think in one, I think also in product mastery, you, there, there's a there's a chapter in there that talks about you know good product owners lead from the front, great product owners lead from within. Mm. Um, tell us more about that. What 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 yeah what what what, what brings that? What, what's the difference between leading from the front and leading from within? And what do you mean by you know that? So I'll, I'll give you just a very brief little bit of um, context, I suppose. So
1: Scrum was quite um, quite explicit and it says product owners have the authority to make all the decisions necessary around the product. Now, in reality, there are a lot of product managers and product owners in, in organisations that I see don't have a huge amount of authority, um, but they still have a lot of responsibility. Um, so if let's just take it from the, the, the theoretical point of view and say, I do have authority as product manager. I could say, this is this is what I need. Okay, this is what I need you to deliver. Deliver it for me. This is where we need to go. Go. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that can be really, really inspiring. But if, that, if there becomes doubt as to whether this is correct, we've predicted everything and analysed things and it's all working out. As soon as we start getting to the point where, hold on a minute, this doesn't seem to be matching up to what they said it was going to be. There's, there's a loss of faith. There's a loss of connection. And we're relying solely on that person's expertise then. We're not really generating anybody else's. Mm-hmm. So the alternative is actually to position yourself rather than someone at the top of the hierarchy chain and leading from the front, is actually positioning yourself with them. So you are together. You're going to work this out and you're going to solve this together. Whenever we come up against this piece of, information that we weren't aware of that sort of throws our plan a little bit or we uncover another unknown unknown we'll tackle it together it's not Mm -hmm. a case of you are my suppliers and i am your customer Mm -hmm. we are partners in this product development effort and that that positioning on an even keel uh, with mutual beneficial goals in place is what i talk about when i say leading from within right
0: brilliant so you're you're not you're not separate from the team, but you are one with the team. Yeah. Yeah. Love that.
1: I can't succeed without them. They can't succeed without
0: me. Mm. Love that. And so I guess my, the, the final thing which which I want to ask about is, um, obviously you're an experienced coach and you've coached many, many individuals in, in, in different companies. And um, one thing which I also love mm. from from kind of understanding your work and reading your website, it, there's, there's something that says here, um, coaching is about helping other people find their solution-based uh, on getting a better understanding of their situation, it's not about trying to work out how to wheel your solution into other people's minds, so that they say what you want them to say. I think this was one of your, um, or maybe your team member's blog posts. that was mm-hmm. on your website. I love that, and I think obviously in today's world, greatly so, uh, more leaders are uh, being more adept to, to coaching and coaching others rather than just telling them what to do, given their experience. And so. um, what I mean, so I, I love that because it's not so much about putting your own stories and your own way of do, on doing things onto others, but bringing the, the the best out in in them and their ideas. And so, what would you say? That's one thing. But do you have any kind of do you have like top three things that you would see in great leaders who are great coaches within organizations? What 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 are the top kind of few things that um, really, really resonate and and and. Uh, 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 that, that do you see that you know makes a great leader and, and a great coach within an organization
1: so when you're when you're coaching someone i think there's a few things that are worth just being aware of okay because if i'm go if i'm truly going to coach someone and help them find their solution i have to believe in that person or that team's ability because if I don't, then I'm going to have very little confidence that they're going to come up with the right answer. Mm. And so either I will be itching to give them my idea or my words and my body language just won't match. You'll get a feeling that I don't have faith in you. Mm. So I've got to believe that people have the capacity to solve their own problems. Mm. All right. And not everybody does. Mm. I've got to be patient because sometimes it, the people that I'm coaching don't have as much confidence in themselves as I have in them. Mm. And they need to gradually teach themselves that they are capable. You know, They've been told what to do or they've been undermined for so long that they don't have enough confidence to step up and, and be assertive. So there's an element of patience. Um, and then I think I'll go back to my first answer, which is around humility, which is you know, almost repeating to myself I am not the expert. Their solution is more likely to be successful than my solution simply because it's theirs. They have more skin in the game if it's their solution than if it's my solution. Mm. Um, so as well as me opening myself up to new ideas, um, so we have this phrase, entrenched expertise. Mm. Uh, a friend of mine described it as, if I'm the expert of using a hammer, then every problem I see looks like a nail.
0: Mm.
1: Then, you know, I, if I, it, we all suffer from that. So... Opening myself up to different tools, different ways of thinking. And while it might not be the right answer for me, that's secondary of importance because it's the right answer for them.
0: Mm. Where do you think that comes from? You know, I mean, I've I've certainly been there in the past when, you know, when I was working in the pharmaceutical industry, you know, um, leading teams, there's always this urge to share your, your or my way of Doing things, or what I think is correct in this project, Um, and I think just to some degree that does require that level of self-awareness to kind of quieten that down and actually give the space for the other person to come up with their solution and you know and find their way of doing it. But where do you think that comes from? This this innate uh, need to share our way of doing things.
1: Um, So I'm not as much of an expert in this as I would like, although I'm I'm currently. Um, doing some research in this area but I would say the three areas that jump out for me one is culturally we're conditioned towards efficiency so in our head if we've got something that works why wait just do it don't reinvent the wheel is something that everyone has you know on the tip of their tongue as a phrase Hmm. so there's that drive for efficiency but I would say there's two sort of more philosophical not philosophical I would say psychological aspects to this one we've already touched on which is we, ha- we do generally have a desire to help. so if I've got something that could help somebody out of a tricky situation, then here you go here's some help. and I can feel good about that um and maybe I can get some you know, appreciation from that as well. but also I think there's an element of, of validation of our value. so from our leadership, certainly our leadership team, a lot of those people have got to their their position because they've solved problems they've they've come up with ideas. And now they're being asked to help other people solve their own problems and come up with their own ideas. So there's an underlying insecurity of okay, so what's my role now? How do, how do I add value? Yeah, and they've been brought up on this. I come up with an idea, I solve a problem, I get recognition and reward. Well, where do I get my recognition and reward now? Yeah, and it's it's a psychological thing. It's unconscious most of the time it's subliminal yeah. but being aware of it allows us to find different ways of adding value
0: yeah absolutely yeah brilliant do you want to share a bit more about what it is that you're currently doing and um you know you mentioned the the agile certification i'd love to share to, to share more with our audience about that
1: yeah sure so i mean i've been i've been coaching and teaching scrum masters product owners leaders for the best best part of 20 years now um and yeah, in various guises, uh, the the industry standard seems to be very much around sort of two day certified classes, you know, which which can be really really good, uh, and they they can get a lot of information across to people in a short amount of time. But having the the luxury, if you like, of being able to work with product managers after the training, yeah, you know, when they're actually in the real world dealing with real problems that perhaps. You know, weren't predicted in the in the training course curriculum that was there. That combination of theory at the start, but then helping them through the real life application is the winning combination. So i I'm, I'm now dedicated to trying to change the tra- change the paradigm. It almost disrupt the certification industry, if you like, so that people don't, when they think of you know product management certification or scrum master certification, they don't just think of a two-day class, they think of like a six-month support system. Mm-hmm. Uh, of, of a mixture of classroom and coaching and community so that's that's what i'm doing that through the vehicle of the agile mastery institute and um yeah it's it's a bit of a challenge taking on these the big guns but it's a, it's a startup yeah. and we'll we'll see how it goes
0: brilliant and what i'll do i'll include the links to to that um in the, in, the, in the notes below the podcast So if, if anyone's interested they can have a look at that as well thank you um but Jeff thank you so much for coming on the podcast I really um appreciate the conversation we've had I think you know especially speaking to individuals in in the uh, kind of in the the space that you work in you definitely have an impact um in, in their work so um yeah long may that continue brilliant appreciate that thanks for having me